everybody. Welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with an academic background in international relations focused in security policy and real-world experience working in the U.S. domestic political space and living in a number of other countries than my own, all of which combined, I think, positions me fairly well both to interpret for my international audience what's going on in the politics of my own country and to shed light for some of the folks back home on some events of note going on in the rest of the world. So, a bit of housekeeping before I get into the episode. I've thought for a little while that it would be a good idea to have a channel open to communicate a bit more directly with the folks who listen to OK Talks. I've occasionally mentioned Twitter on here, but a lot of people didn't like Twitter even before Elon Musk turned it into, like, a weird Nazi-palooza. Also, I thought it would be nice to have a way to more directly let folks know when an episode comes out, since some of the podcast platforms don't actually do a very good job of letting subscribers know when a new episode drops. So, I've set up a new email and started an email list. If you want to join the list, just send a quick email to oktalkspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, maybe someday I'll graduate to having my own domain, but for now I'll just use Gmail like everybody else. I promise, I'm not going to be like spamming people's inboxes. But if you want to get a ping when a new episode drops, let me know and I'll put you on the list. Also, I should say, if anybody listening wants to reach out to me for any other reason, like if there's an issue you think I should be weighing in on, or there's somebody you think I should be talking to on the show, hit me up. I'm serious. OKTalksPodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. Or if you prefer, I still haven't left Twitter, where my handle is at OWS Kendall. Also, as always, please do like, subscribe, and share the show with anybody you think might get something out of it. Right, so uh, I've been planning to focus the next episode of this podcast on an interesting political phenomenon going on in one of America's neighboring countries, and that episode is still potentially in the works, uh, but, and I should say for the record that I continue to insist that I have no intention of turning this podcast into anything resembling a breaking news show and, like, quickly responding to everything that comes up, I just don't have the resources or the willpower... But with that being said, there was one sort of frustratingly hilarious bit of news this week which made it impossible for me to not go on the air with this, I think it could only be called a diatribe that I've had pent up, resulting in another episode in what I should probably consider an OK Talks miniseries called This Week in GOP Hypocrisy. The previous one tragically remains relevant if anybody's curious, episode 42, I think. This little bit of news that made me want to do this episode, spoiler alert, the news is about stunning Republican hypocrisy around Trump's mishandling of classified information, relates at least a tiny bit in my mind to one of the themes of the last episode, and was just so mind-blowing in its farcical hypocriticalness, I don't know, adjectives fail me, I couldn't resist taking a swing at it. So, as... Uh, I get into it, I want to say for the record, that the bulk of this episode is really an extended walk down memory lane, wherein lies a lot of the relevance of the point that I'm building to, so please bear with me through what may feel like an endless preamble. It is about things that I think are very important to remember in a let's-not-be-doomed-to-repeat-history kind of way. It's mostly relevant to my argument, and I promise I will eventually reach the point. <laughs> So, in the context of me letting out all my frustration last episode at the fact that most of the coverage around Biden seems to center not on his accomplishments as president, but rather on the fact that he was born during World War II, I mentioned that the relentlessness of the narrative, the single-minded focus on his age uh, in, in even the legitimate press, not just the right-wing propaganda outlets, 
that that is starting to give me PTSD around the Clinton email quote-unquote scandal of 2016. The constant polls show that Americans think old Grandpa Joe is just too old that he won't be spry enough to be president in a few years because he'll be on the way to the early bird special to get a great deal on Metamucil and he will have fallen and can't get up. Of it all. The single-minded focus on that is reminding me a bit of the way in which 2016 was also completely taken over by one stupid narrative. So that was already on my mind from last week. And then came a bit of tragic comedy this week about the fact that Trump literally used classified documents as scratch paper, which further highlighted just how incredible it is in retrospect that but her emails were probably the three most important words in the year 2016. Just in case anybody needs a reminder, 2016 was an election where really what was at stake were some broad basic principles. I think we probably could have guessed at the time. America's credibility around the world, the very notion that competence should be you know, a factor in American governance, the notion that experience matters, truth matters, decency matters, that conspiracy theory mongering isn't the proper way to run a presidential campaign. Maybe the idea that openly bragging about sexual assault probably should be disqualifying in a presidential candidate. I mean, those basic issues, like, you know, basic, like, principles were at stake, not to mention a bunch of specific policy issues, America's role or even presence in a number of international organizations and agreements ranging from the Iran nuclear deal to the Paris Climate Accords to NATO, the future of American health care, climate taxes, God, immigration, where I'd say in particular humanity paid a price for Hillary not being the president. But, you know, I mean to say all of this and more were on the line in 2016. But really, the most consistent issue of the 2016 presidential campaign would end up being not any of those important questions, but rather the email scandal. So just to refresh, when Hillary Clinton became Secretary of State, the government didn't as I understand it, really yet have a proper email system set up around the position of Secretary of State. Someone who, you know, <laughs> kind of needs one, so Hillary just set the goddamn thing up herself. Then, in anticipation of Hillary Clinton running for president again, the Republicans launched yet another investigation of the terrorist attack in Benghazi, which the now Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, accidentally admitted on camera at the time, was nothing more than a witch hunt to damage a potential Clinton campaign. Okay, so during the course of this sham investigation, they hauled her in front of this kangaroo court committee thingy, and she testified for 11 hours on end. And in the course of this, they dug up this private email server, and some bright bulb on the committee realized that this might have violated some regulations around classification, uh, which caused it to then, as I say, turn into the issue of the 2016 presidential campaign. But why? Why did a minor bureaucratic kerfuffle over the server hosting a former Secretary of State's emails, which may have had a few low-level classified documents on it, become probably the defining issue of 2016, to the exclusion of all the other vastly more important ones I just mentioned, not to mention any number of other ones? Well, two reasons. One, although I have said before that I really do believe that blanket criticism of the media as a block is usually bullshit and should be avoided, much of the press in 2016 really did just fuck up the coverage of that election, to the point of at least one big-time political reporter later coming out and writing a book that was a mea culpa for the way she covered the race. They just ate up the email thing. This is undeniable. I mean, sure, 
Polls in 2016 showed that tons of Americans believed that the media was biased against Donald Trump. But as I, again, explored in the last episode, the fact that a bunch of people say something in a poll doesn't make it true. The idea that the media was biased against Trump was specifically untrue, and can almost certainly be attributed to decades of right-wing attacks framing legitimate journalists who follow actual journalistic standards as agents of the left. In actuality, several studies by Harvard and the Columbia Journalism Review show the opposite, that media coverage in 2016, intentionally or not, massively favored Donald Trump. The Tyndall Report has tracked coverage by the big three broadcast networks, ABC, CBS, and NBC, for decades. That report concluded that in the entire 2016 election cycle, the big three spent only a cumulative 32 minutes, seriously, in the whole election cycle, on actual substantive issues, with more time overall spent on Clinton quote-unquote scandals than all of the other issues combined. The study published in the Columbia Journalism Review that I just mentioned found that the New York Times, in six days, ran more front-page stories about Hillary's emails than they did about all other policy issues combined in the 69 days leading up to the election. There are a bunch more incredibly frustrating details in that report, but I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole since it ties less directly to the point that I'm building to, so I'll link to it in the description and suggest that you have a glance at it if you want to spend your spare time being deeply annoyed. In defense of the political press, I think two principal reasons they did so much more damage to Hillary via the whole email thing is that the sheer volume of scandal around Donald Trump sort of by definition meant that they did have to move on to the next one, so no individual scandal got so pounded into the ground as did the whole email thing. Also, I think they fell into the same trap as every other institution, which saw no threat from Trump because, you know, Hillary was gonna win. So they acted like these were normal circumstances, or were even extra hard on Hillary, so that when she inevitably crushed Trump, nobody could say that she won because they gave her special treatment, which, incidentally, I think, is also what drove FBI Director James Comey to violate Department of Justice protocol by self-righteously sermonizing about the email thing, and to send his ill-timed letter to Congress reopening the issue like a week before the election. An intervention in the political process, which every poll shows Trump would not have gained his slim Electoral College victory without. Yes. Bottom line, sorry. <laughs> One reason the email narrative dominated 2016 was because much of the political media ate it up and couldn't seem to write a story about Hillary that didn't mention the email thing, just like how they now can't write a story about Biden without mentioning the fact that he's 80 and did you see that one time he tripped over a sandbag. The second reason that the email narrative absolutely would not go away in 2016 is the real reason that I'm doing this podcast episode. The second reason is that classification procedures expert Donald Trump pounded the issue into the ground throughout the entire election cycle. Trump is, you know, famously such a stickler for the rules, especially the rules around the classification of documents, that he and his lackeys couldn't get five minutes into a stump speech without mentioning the whole email thing. This, by the way, is where the whole lock her up, lock her up thing came from. Trump's speeches were so filled with references to the idea that Hillary Clinton might have broken the law by not correctly following procedure around the safe handling of classified information that his supporters would start chanting on cue that Hillary should be sent to prison. Now, I would argue that the desire among right-wingers to imprison or otherwise physically harm liberals doesn't actually stem from a deep-seated concern for the importance of classification procedures. Surely they would have found another reason for the Hillary for Prison t-shirts. 
I'd say there's at least a little bit of evidence for that. But in any case, this, this is where the lock her up thing came from, from the fact that Donald Trump in 2016 appointed himself America's sheriff in charge of protecting classified information. Oh my God, if anyone besides her had done this, they'd be in jail. Oh my goodness, how could we trust somebody who emailed a classified document on an unclassified server? How could somebody with such little regard for America's Secret Service president, blah, blah, blah. Of course, the fact that Donald Trump doesn't actually give a shit about classification procedure isn't like something we learned this week. I don't think anyone thought that he gave that much of a shit about it before. As I say, he and his people would have found other excuses to delegitimize Hillary and wish violence against her. The email thing was just a convenient cudgel. I'm also pretty sure that I'm remembering correctly that within the first year or so of his tenure as president, Trump at one point just casually revealed code word classified information to show off for the two Russian spies he'd invited into the Oval Office. And in so doing, he sold out a Mossad agent that was deeply embedded within ISIS. You know. Oops. But I mean, the, you know, the, the relentlessness, the tenaciousness of the pursuit of Hillary Clinton in 2016 around the fact that, like, a couple low-level classified documents made their way onto an unclassified email server she set up does make it especially, I don't know, irony-defying that one of the four criminal cases being brought against Trump is around his having violated procedures and laws around classified information. Like, to a degree that I don't think we've seen since maybe Edward Snowden. I mean, really, I don't make that comparison lightly. I'm, I'm pretty sure the sort of stuff that Trump just casually stuffed into boxes after his term ended and brought down to Florida to leave lying around, like, in a bathroom of his golf resort thingy. I, I'm open to the possibility that I'm wrong about this, but I think some of that stuff was at least as highly classified as what Snowden revealed. I mean, on the one hand, you have a highly classified NSA eavesdropping program. On the other, battle plans for a potential invasion of Iran and secrets about America's nuclear weapons program, to name just a few. I mean, whatever you think about the privacy and individual liberty implications of what Ed Snowden revealed, I assume views among my audience are mixed, hell, I suppose my own are, whatever you think about what Snowden revealed, basically every serious national security professional said that he was a traitor who put American lives at risk, and that's why he now lives in Moscow, where privacy and individual liberty are protected. So then what does that make Donald Trump? I mean, okay, Trump, to be fair, did not, as Snowden did, deliberately pass all of that information to a, a lunatic, anti-Western zealot journalist in name only who, I swear to you, is so infamous for operating in bad faith that the act of taking a quote out of context and then using the out-of-context moral implications of the quote to misrepresent and attack the person who said it is literally named for him. People call it greenwalding. Okay, Trump didn't give all the classified stuff he stole to Glenn Greenwald, but he did wave the Iran war plan document around in front of, like, some random publisher and writer working on a memoir for his chief of staff, Mark Meadows. I mean, here, you might have already heard this clip, but just in case you haven't, here's the audio that got leaked in which he shows these, like, randos the top-secret invasion plan for a hypothetical war with Iran. Sorry in advance about the audio quality. Well, with Milley, uh, let me see that. I'll show you an example. He said that I wanted to attack Iran. Isn't it amazing? I have a big pile of papers. This thing just came up. Look. This was him. They presented me this. This is off the record, but they presented me this. This was him. This was the Defense Department and him. 
We looked at some. This was him. This wasn't done by me. This was him. All sorts of stuff. Pages long. Wait a minute. Let's see. Yeah. I just found. Isn't that amazing? This totally wins my case, you know. Except it is like highly confidential, yeah. secret. <laughs> this is secret information. Look, look at this. You attack. And then here's a bit more. I think we can probably. Right? I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, we'll have to try to Deep figure out a. Yeah. See, as president, I could have deedlessed yeah. it. Now I can't, you know, but this is. Yeah, now we have a problem. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's so yeah. cool. I mean, it's so. I'm, look, we here and I have a. And you probably almost didn't believe me, but now you believe me. No, it's, I believe It's you. incredible, right? No, hey, bring some, uh, bring some cokes in, please. There's a bunch of extraneous, like, random stuff in there. He's basically talking about a disagreement that he had with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. But, like, there he is. You can hear him, like, shuffling papers around and basically saying, Look, random people I just met, here's this highly classified invasion plan. Like, super bigly classified, the most classified. Guess I shouldn't be showing you this. Too bad I can't declassify it anymore because I'm not president. Sad. Sure puts the whole Hillary's emails thing into an interesting perspective, doesn't it? But, right, this tape came out, like, two months ago. Why am I so exercised about this issue this week? Okay, yes, partly because, as you heard in the last episode, I am just right now very, very concerned about the power of stupid narratives in a presidential race, and all of this reminded me of 2016. But partly for another reason. And I know at least one regular listener to the podcast is going to kill me for having buried the lead this long. Sorry, Nate, if you're listening. But it came out this week that Donald Trump, staunch defender of America's most precious secrets, vanguard of proper classification procedures, a man who owes his presidency to having successfully demagogued the idea that Hillary Clinton could not be trusted with America's secrets because she set up an unclassified email server... That same man, we learned this week, literally used highly classified documents he had lying around as, like, scratch paper, habitually writing notes to his assistant, who presumably didn't have clearance, on documents that were clearly marked as classified. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm just trying to get my head around what this looks like. Maybe something along the lines of, in the event of a nuclear attack by North Korea, the ballistic missile submarine USS Nevada SSBN-773 is to reposition at Rally Point Alpha... Hey, Molly, remember not to invite Tiffany to the state dinner. Or the fifth kid, whatever his name is. Also, please pick up two Big Macs and a Diet Coke and an extra bowl of ketchup in case I get angry and need to throw something. I mean, I joke, but, you know, barely. I'm realizing I've hinted at it in the past, but I don't think I've ever, on this show at least, so openly expressed my deep loyalty to Hillary Clinton as I've done and am about to keep doing in this episode, so, you know, let number 51 serve as my coming out party as a massive Hillary fan. And, I'm sorry, I, I know I've been harping on the Hillary of it all a lot in this episode, and I know that for a lot of us, 2016 brings back a lot of bad memories of divisions within the Democratic Party, and of course Trump winning, so there's a desire to just live in the present, forget everything about 2016, move on. But we shouldn't. For one thing, because we'd be shooting ourselves in the foot if we forget the lessons we should learn from then. But also because doing that is just profoundly unfair to a woman who historians in 30 years, I think, will almost certainly look back on as, like, the single most unjustly maligned political leader of the modern era. And look, wherever you were in the 2016 primary, this woman, for the record, 
she would have been a phenomenal president. And at least in my mind, she was kind of entitled to it, at least as much as anybody can be. I mean, little tidbit, a lot of people have forgotten, she won more actual votes than Obama did in the 2008 primary. And then in the 2016 general election, she won the popular vote by more than 3 million, even in the face of a Russian information warfare campaign, political interference by a jackass FBI director, and a primary opponent who, well, let's just say, didn't really adhere to the usual norms of presidential primary politics. Also, she was the first female major party nominee in a country that, yes, has made a lot of progress on this issue, but has hardly achieved perfect gender parity. This woman lost the presidency and had her career effectively destroyed over a nothing burger. Meanwhile, Trump did what he accused Hillary of only a gajillion times worse, and gets to not only hitherto face zero consequences, but also be a serious contender to have the job again. Can we please, please stop grading this guy on such a curve? I mean, yeah, we already knew, if not in great detail, about the boxes of classified information squirreled away out of the White House for whatever reason. But now, on top of that, the level of disrespect, unconcern for classification procedures demonstrated by Trump choosing to use classified documents as scratch paper to, like, pass notes around on to just anybody... For all we know, he used those teeny tiny little hands of his to fold them into paper airplanes. This from the guy who won the presidency on the basis of his supposed concern for the proper handling of classified information. It's just... Hypocrisy doesn't feel like a strong enough word anymore. The word farce doesn't even begin to do it justice. And yes, of course, this makes Trump the biggest hypocrite ever to have waddled on two legs, and we already kind of knew that. But... Let's not forget that he was hardly alone in making an issue over Hillary's emails in 2016. But for the most part, those same Republicans who displayed just hysterics over Hillary's supposed mishandling of classified information, well, now suddenly they all seem to have bigger fish to fry. Not all, to be fair, but for the most part, they, they really don't seem all that bothered by the serious mishandling of classified information that their guy is engaged in. Really, they seem more bothered by the fact that the Department of Justice caught Trump and made him give it back. Weaponization of government, am I right? This level of hypocrisy should disqualify someone just for being taken seriously as a human being, not to mention serving in government as one of the arbiters of American society. There's got to be a point where people are just are embarrassed to not be bothered by this, hasn't there? I mean, maybe this entire episode is is just shocking naivete, but I've been pretty actively following politics for 23 years, and this is just too much for me. I mean, I can just hear someone saying, but Oliver, all politicians are hypocrites. And, okay, I would actually challenge that premise, and if I hadn't been talking for almost 25 minutes, I would, here. But I have been talking for almost 25 minutes, so instead I'll just say, no, not like this. Not to this degree. We haven't seen this. At least not in my lifetime. We can't run a country with a system that accidentally structurally favors having only two main political parties, wherein one of the parties is acting in bad faith to this extent, where their leaders, at least, are this sociopathically immune to the human emotion of shame. Just can't do it. I mean, Mitt, Mitt Romney who, you know, as much as we attacked him in 2012 when he was running against Obama, is a comparatively decent guy, a, a very decent guy, as modern Republican politicians go. He told us this week that he's had enough. 
he's retiring. He said it was largely because he's getting old, but based on the subtext of a lot of other things he said about his choice to stop serving as a senator in the Republican caucus, well, I'm pretty sure if you asked him what I've been talking about, he'd agree with me. I just, I don't know how we can keep this up. I guess the best hope is that Attorney General Merrick Garland's finally having shown a tiny bit of spine in a hearing before the House Judiciary Committee this week is indication that maybe the Republican attempts to work the ref aren't actually going to work on the Justice Department, and they'll actually hold Trump and other high-level rule breakers accountable. Then for everybody else, I guess the best answer I can come up with is to just keep punishing Republicans at the ballot box over and over again decisively enough to both overcome their attempts to mess with and undermine elections and to eventually convince them that it's in their interest to go back to being a relatively normal political party again, if only to give me a chance to do a podcast episode or I'm not freaking out about an existential threat to America's future coming from within. I mean, I was intending to end this episode with the promise that the next one is going to focus on something other than the danger presented by relentless and stupid narratives in presidential campaigns or the stunning hypocrisy of one of America's two major political parties, if only for the sake of my own blood pressure, because I don't think I usually sound this pissed off in a podcast episode. But on the other hand, it looks like in about a week the craziest Republicans in the House are going to blow billions of dollars and embarrass America on the world stage again by forcing a government shutdown, so... I probably shouldn't make that promise. In any case, that's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you like the show and want to make sure not to miss the next one, hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you listen, or shoot me an email at oktalkspodcast at gmail.com, as I mentioned at the top. If you really want to do me a favor, please do go ahead and share the show with anybody you think might get something out of it. To everybody who has already, thanks. To any who will, thanks in advance. Thanks, as always, to Nate Wright for having designed the podcast artwork, and to everyone else for listening. 